Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. And as we come to our scripture, today's scripture comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 28. I'm going to be reading from the message translation today. And this is what it says. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting... God's Spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So Lord Jesus, we pray that your hope and your word would be in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, we can easily tell that the world is not as it should be, right? The world, it seems to be fundamentally flawed, and one of the things that is reasonable for us to ask is why. Why is life the way that it is? Why is the world like it is today? And so, kids, I'm going to invite you in box one. What is a question that you would like to ask God? What is a question that, that you would like to ask God? And, and one of the things that, that as all this is, is going on, it's caused us to ask a bunch of questions, and, and from a Christian perspective, we We see the brokenness of the world, and our short answer to why is the world the way it is, is that sin has infected the world. And um, my job, actually, as a pastor in the future, got a lot easier, because what I will tell people is that sin is like a global pandemic, a virus that has infected and affected the whole world. And what we've seen and what we're experiencing now is how something so little and so invisible that we cannot see has affected Um, people and systems all over the place, right? This virus has not only infected people, and and as so often with sin, it affects vulnerable people more often and deeper, right? 
but it affects everything. It affects economies. It affects countries. It affects relationships with others. Everything is infected and affected by sin. And this is the world that we live in. And we live in a world that is not the way that it should be. And this causes us to ask questions. And, and some of the questions is, we ask questions like this, right? Why would God do this? All right. Maybe we ask, where is God anyway? Or maybe the question we're asking is, why would God allow this? Now, probably as we're sitting there, you're bent to one of these three questions. Why would God do this? Where is God anyways, or why would God allow this? And, and the question that you are most bent to will tell you a little bit about your theology. Now, I know that you all don't maybe feel like it, but you are theologians, all right? We all have a concept of God. We all have a belief system that is important to us. Now, sometimes you think, Aaron, you're the pastor. You're the one that's paid to be a theologian, all right? But we all have a belief system that impacts us. In fact, your theology is how you think about God and thus how you act according to what you believe. All right, and all of us here in this room, all of us watching online, we all have a theology and it is really, really important. Because especially when we're faced with the big questions, what we believe about God and how we let that belief channel into our thoughts and our actions is incredibly important. And so I want to use a weird analogy to talk about different ways in which we view God. Um, and I want to do it with the kids at recess, all right? So imagine that you're a teacher, all right? And the kids are supposed to go outside to recess and play kickball, all right? And your understanding of what the teacher does actually influences how we understand God, all right? So the first is, would be as if the teacher all right, would go out with the kids at kickball and they would determine everything that would happen, all right? That God is gonna determine everything that's gonna happen. So the teacher would go out there and he would say, kids, you're playing kickball and you better like it this time, all right? The, the teacher would go out there and it would tell, it would, the teacher would divide people into two teams. The teacher would set the, the lineup and the order of what would happen. The teacher would even have the power to determine where they kick the ball and what happens there. All right, And so the teacher determines everything. And this is one view of God, is that God is, determines everything that happens. That everything that happens in this, will is be, in this world is because God wills it to be so. All right, so great things that happen. All right, when, when marriages happen and babies are born and, and um, OU beats Texas, that's all the will of God. All right, now I don't know uh, if that's the will of God or not, but for some of you, you would be convinced of that, all right? Everything that happens is God's will in the world. Good things, but also bad things. When there's car crashes, when life is taken too soon, when, when the Holocaust happens, all of those things are determined by God. And with this sort of belief system, what happens is, is, that, is that God seems cruel. Because yes, good things happen, but also bad things happen. All right, and those things are because God determines it to be so. Now, there's another way of thinking where it seems like God is distant, all right? And in this analogy, the teacher would, would say, kids, it's time to go outside. Here's a kickball. Go do what you want to do with it, all right? And so maybe the kids organize a kickball game and they have fun, all right? Or maybe the, the bully in the class takes the kickball and, and throws the ball at other people's faces, right? Like there's a lot of different possibilities, but the teacher just goes back inside and let the kids do whatever they want to do. 
And this is the second way in which people view God, is, is that God is distant in what happens, all right? This is sort of a de, what we would call deism, all right? There is a God. He set the world in motion, but he doesn't intervene or act. He certainly doesn't determine what happens. And in this view of God, God seems careless because he doesn't care about what happens with the kids outside. He doesn't care if a kid bullies other kids, all right? He's just inside, not worried about it. Now, the third way is actually the way that United Methodists believes it's the way that I believe, which is this, is that God gives us free will and sometimes will intervene, all right, and will sometimes come through. So in this way, if the kids are outside playing kickball, the the teacher goes out and says, hey, we're going to play kickball, all right, do you want my help? Now, the kids have a choice whether they want the teacher to help them organize, whether they want the teacher to help them set up the bases, whether they want the teacher to make the calls of whether somebody is out or safe, but they have to ask and invite the teacher to help out. And the teacher will help out and will intervene, but only when asked and when invited and, and when it's good for people. And this is how we as United Methodists and how I believe is that God is an interventionist, all right? That God has set the world in motion and has made himself available to us. He doesn't determine everything, all right? He allows things, but he also intervenes, especially when his people pray. Now, the trouble of this is honestly that God seems fickle. Because um, I don't know about you, but there have been times I've prayed for stuff, and it's happened. And there have been times I've prayed, and, and lots of people have prayed, and they got on their knees and they prayed, and they prayed for hours and hours, and somebody dies. Somebody loses something important. And we wonder, God, if you are a good God, how could this person live and this person die? Where were you? Why did, it, why did you intervene here and not here? And this is a, a difficulty of this position, but, but really I think it's consistent with our scriptures and it's consistent with who God is. Because God's answers to the problems of this world is to engage us and for us to participate in the, in the redemption of his creation. All right? It's not God's going to solve all the problems. It doesn't matter what you do. But instead, it's God saying we are in this redemption process together. And so in the beginning of our story in Genesis, we believe that God said that the world was good, but then he gave humans free will to choose whether or not to do good or to do evil. Now, often evil is just the twisting of God's goodness in the world. It's the twisting of, of something that God gave us as a good gift, and we use it not so good. I, was, uh, I think I was in the youth office uh, earlier this week, and and I was saying, look, soda is, there was a soda bottle sitting there. Soda is a wonderful thing, unless you drink too much of soda, right? And then it does bad things to us. This is all of life. God gives us these good gifts like sugar, but when we use it in the wrong way or we use too much of it, it doesn't work out for us as well. And so what's happened is that humans continually make bad choices, all right, that affect other people and affect themselves. And we see a world that is filled with selfishness and with evil. And we, it's easy for us to tell. And so kids in box two, I invite you to draw a picture of something that you think is evil or broken um, in the world. What is something that for you is obvious that the world is not as it should be? 
And so what this scripture tells us to is that we need to long for a better world. We need to long for a world in which God is a part of it in a bigger way and that this world is not the way it should be. And this is what Paul says to the Romans and what he says to us. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. And so part of what Paul is saying is that we, whenever we find that the world isn't as it should be, whenever we get this sense of injustice, whenever we get this sense of mourning and weeping because of something that happened that shouldn't happen, we are participating in part of God's redemption in the world because we're longing for a better world. Now, one of the analogies that he uses is the analogy of pregnancy. Now, I've only observed pregnancy. I've never been pregnant, all right? God bless you ladies, all right? I can't even imagine what all you have gone through and go through. But what is amazing sometimes with pregnancy is they talk about this glow, right? You could be going through all this physical pain, but yet still have this pregnant glow about you because you are hopeful for what's going to happen more than you are in pain in the moment. And this is what he says. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. We're waiting for what's going to happen. We're, we're anticipating joy. That's why. And anytime we find ourselves waiting for good things, that's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. And so as we are waiting for God to finish his redemption work in this world, we become more and more joyful in that anticipation, believing that we are closer to that fullness than we've ever been before. And so how does this work today? What does this look like? Now, in seminary, I learned about this thing called the already not yet kingdom. And what we believe as, as people is that, is that the kingdom of God is already at hand, but it's not yet fully realized. That because Jesus conquered sin and death, already God has won, but he has not yet fully finished the battle. Now, what does this look like? I, I must admit, what I'm about to give you is a somewhat silly illustration, but it's the only way that my brain made it work, all right? So recently, our family got Madden 21 for the Xbox, all right? And one of the things I enjoy doing is playing with my boys. And so uh, last week, we were playing. Kaysen and I were playing. We were the San Francisco 49ers. We were playing against the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, in the real world, the Eagles beat the 49ers, much to my chagrin. All right, But in Xbox One world, which is the world I choose to live in, the, it was a little bit differently. I think we were up 96 to nothing at the end of the third quarter, and we ended up winning the game 130 to nothing, Kaysen and I did, all right? We had a lot of fun, all right? Now, at some point in time, 
I'm not sure if it was like 67 to nothing or if it was 78 to nothing. At some point in time, the game was impossibly over. There was no way they didn't have enough time left to be able to come back and to beat us. All right, we had already won the game, but it was not yet over, right? There was no possible way for them to win, but yet we still got to finish and play the game. I remember when I played high school football, especially when I was a sophomore and junior, I was on JV, which meant the only time I would play on, on, on Friday nights would be as if um, the starter forgot, you know, like didn't know where his helmet was, or if we were up by a lot. And if we were up by a lot, then, then they would say, JV, get ready. And then we would get ready. And in that situation, we would get to go out and play. Now, here's the cool thing about that. The only reason why they put me and the rest of our guys in was because there was no way we were going to lose it, right? We had already won the game. It was just not yet finished. And this is actually the reality of the kingdom of God, is that Jesus has already won the game. It's just not yet finished. And he invites us to play and to participate in it. We're get to play in the fourth quarter of the game of life in which Jesus is already victorious. The Super Bowl parade is going to happen in heaven and we're going to get to participate in it. And not only are we going to get to, not only are we going to get to participate in it, we get to participate in the game. That means we get to participate in the parade. He's already victorious. He's already won. This is what we are waiting for. The joyful anticipation of God's final victory. And so what we believe that happened on the cross is that Jesus conquered sin and he conquers death. Now, when we say Jesus conquers sin, what we believe and what we say by that is that now can be better. Is that anything that you and I struggle with, our, our sins, if, if we're angry, if, if, if we've got an addiction, whatever it is, whatever the sin is in our lives, is because Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross, is that there is hope for now. That whatever you're facing Jesus has already defeated us, and he invites us to join him in that victory. But not only does he invite us to that victory, defeating the sin that's in our life, he also invites us to the victory over death. Because we believe that Jesus conquers death, and this is about forever. Because what, what up until that time, what believed to happen is that when you died, your body sort of entered into a, a state, um, they called it purgatory, just sort of up in the air. But that death for so many is seen as the end. And that everybody has died. But for us, because we believe in Jesus, is that even the awful enemy of death, and even as painful as it is, and I know it's painful for people, is that Jesus conquers death. And that means that forever is better than you and I can ever imagine. Jesus has conquered death. And he has redeemed the brokenness of the world. Death still exists, it's still painful, but it is not final because resurrection will always get the last word. And so what God is doing is inviting us to participate in this world. And he is working, he is intervening when we allow him, when we say, God, I need you. And so that's why our scripture had said this, that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. You may have heard it this way in a more traditional way with Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, not most things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
All things work together for good. This is who God is. Is he could take anything and somehow work it for good. And so what I believe is that God is not a determinist. He doesn't determine everything. I, I refuse to worship a God who would be responsible for all the evils and the atrocities of this world. He is not a puppet master who dictates your every move and my every move and every move on the world. I don't believe that is who God is. He is not this puppet master. All right. I also don't believe that he is the God who just started everything and walked away and said, good luck, y'all. He's not the, the teacher who's just said, here's a kickball, go have fun, whatever you do, you do. But I was trying to think, what, what is it like? Because we say things like, well, it was God's will or, or God's in control, and what do we mean by that? And how we answer that question is really important. All right, and so when I say that, when I believe that God is in control, I was trying to think, what's the analogy that I've been looking for? And, and this, this is the best one I have. Every analogy falls short, but this is the way I like to see it is what if God's will is like the wind that blows? What if God's will is like a wind that just keeps blowing us forward? Now, here's the interesting thing about the wind, is that you can walk against the wind, right? Is that that you can say, you know what, I'm going to pretend like the wind doesn't exist, and I'm going to go my own way. And sometimes we do that. But the wind is, sometimes it's going to blow harder. And there are some times in which the wind is blowing so hard that you can't walk against it or it takes so much energy to walk against it. And, and, and so you have a choice. Am I going to walk against the wind or am I going to give myself to the wind? And there are some times, too, in which we have, the, as people, the will of God is like the wind. And so what do we do when we don't want to deal with the wind? We build up, we put walls up, right? We, we say, okay, I know the wind's going to come, so let me put a wall so that it will block the wind. But we live in Oklahoma, and we know no matter how strong those walls are, the winds can be even stronger and can blow those walls down. The walls that we use to separate ourselves from the will of God, God can blow those down. He can knock those over. And so the question that I think you and I have to answer is if the will of God is like the wind and if God is intervening, do we work actively against God? Do we just do our own thing and if God moves us forward, so be it? Or do we channel the wind for God's good purposes? Right? I mean, if I was to run a 100-meter race, I would want to make sure I did it with the wind at my back. Right? So that it would blow me forward. Or maybe what if our life was like a kite and and we we let it loose in the wind and it blew high in the air for all to see. And so kids, I'd invite you in box three to, to draw a picture of a kite blowing in the wind. Because I think this is the image of life that I want to have for us. Is that we can use the wind to accelerate and to lift us up or we can try to fight against it. But God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it works so much better when we surrender to it and he lifts us up than when we fight through it. And what we see here is that the will of God will continue to move no matter what we do and that God can take anything and use it for amazing things. He can take anything And make it be amazing. And we know that because of the symbol of the cross. 
Now, if you were alive 2,000 years ago and you were around Rome and Jerusalem and these other places in the, in the Middle East, you, the cross was not a sign of beauty. In fact, it was a grotesque, obscene thing that the Romans did. Because the Roman officials, they were the one in power. And if, and if you went against the Romans, then what they would do is that they would crucify you. It would be a gruesome public death. They would often do the crucifixions on the top of a hill, and they would often do the crucifixions not just on top of a hill, but near a road, so that anybody who passed by would know not to mess with Rome. When they talked about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, it wasn't really peace like wholeness. It was like, hey, don't upset dad, right? The kind of peace that might be in some of your houses, right? Everybody stay calm because you don't want to make them mad. And so the cross was this grotesque sign that you better not mess with Rome. So if, if, if you were one of those people who lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago and you came to our church today, you would be floored. Because you would drive up and you would see not one steeple with the cross, but two. And you would think, what kind of sick people are here? And then you would walk into our sanctuary, and right in the center would be the cross, and you would think, what are they doing here? And if you went back to our fellowship hall and the, the walls of crosses, and you would think, these people are demented. I've got to get out of here. Why do they have flowers on them? Why, do they, or why are they made of all shapes and sizes and, and have all these different decorations? This is the craziest thing that could possibly happen why would anybody have a cross on the wall but yet this is what God does is he takes the most grotesque sign of the time and he makes it into the most beautiful thing you and I can ever imagine and so when I see the cross I don't see an ugly thing I see the most beautiful thing because for me it stands that I have been redeemed for me, it stands that God can conquer anything. For us, it is a sign that hope is alive because Jesus is alive. I mean, can you imagine if you went 500 years or 1,000 years in the future, all right, and there were electric chairs everywhere? Or, or the middle finger was hanging up on people's walls. We would think, what is wrong? And that's what we're doing. Because it is God's sign that anything, even the bad things, can be redeemed for good. And if God can redeem that, he can redeem anything that you've ever done. He can take those awful things and use them for good. He can take the brokenness of, of communities and of families and bring wholeness. This past week, uh, I had an opportunity, and, and Karen did as well. There's a, a new place in Canadian County called Cardinal Point, and it's a domestic violence um, sort of place in which people who are experiencing domestic violence, they can go to one place and they can receive um, various services that are needed. And there was a lady who stood up there and she told her story. Um, and it was just so heartbreaking to hear her story, but also to hear about now how she's using that story to help other people. And that's what God does and that's who he is. And so you and I, we can either fight God we can fight the wind and we can maybe even make some headway, but eventually we're going to get worn out and tired. Or we can choose to say, God, use me. I release myself to you so that you can cause me to fly. 
Let your spirit blow me. And let your spirit open us up in ways far beyond we ever imagined. And so what I want you to do is just to spend a little bit of time in prayer. And as, as we spend this time in prayer, I just invite you to say, is there something you need to give God and say, God, can you redeem this ugly part of my life? Can we pray for redemption? And maybe some of you, you have been walking against God for so long. You've been fighting the wind and you're saying, God, I just want to surrender to you. And so our altar is going to be open and we invite you to this time of prayer. And then as we sing our closing song, we'd love it if you would just worship and believe and trust in Jesus. So let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. Lord, we pray that we know that, that there are some awful things that have happened to people who are watching this. There are things that we don't know how you can redeem it, how you can work it for good. But, Lord, we pray that, that we are going to give this to you. This awful thing that happened to us, this, this thing that we did that caused devastation. Lord, we believe that you can redeem all things. And so, Lord, we pray that when we look at the cross, we would be reminded that hope is alive because you are alive. And that nothing can separate us from you. And so, Lord, we pray that the will of God would blow over us today. It would lift us up. It would encourage us. And may we be lights for all to see that even when we go through things, that there is joyful anticipation of what is to come. And so we offer ourselves to you as we spend this time in prayer today. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.